down. Now I'm going through nervousness again and trepidation, and uh, I get to stand up here for a while and speak. Um, I, I am. I want to be honest with you. It has been a, a spiritual battle this week. It's been hard. There's been things that have come at me, come at my family, come at my friends, that I know is nothing more than a spiritual attack from the other side. Uh, and this message is driven by that. This message is driven by you know, some of the struggles and the, and the difficulties and the pain and the hurt that, that we've gone through. Um, so I would just pray. I ask you to pray. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Even during this message is, is my, my greatest hope and my greatest desire today is that you hear nothing from me, nothing from Eric, that you hear everything from God. You know, I used a couple scriptures, you know. <laughs> Miss Christine said we had 57 slides, so get ready. <laughs> um, uh, but I do want to tell you God is faithful. Amen. You know, and, and yesterday provided a ray of sunshine I desperately needed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In the middle of the afternoon. And uh, that little bit is all it takes. You know, God's faithful. Amen. God loves us. So, uh, let's get straight to it, shall we? We're going into Romans. Uh, we're going to Romans 8, verse 37 is the key verse. I'm going to have the, uh, about eight verses to circle around, but 8:37 is the key verse. And that Paul states through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. So the question that has just been in my mind and in my heart and coming from all directions is why, if we are conquerors, if we are more than conquerors, why do we live defeated lives as Christians? Why do we live like we have been conquered as believers instead of being conquerors ourselves? Amen. The message is going to be based on the following verses. If you're in your Bible, it's in Romans 8. It's 31 all the way through 39. And we'll read through those real quick. What shall, we, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, yes. which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> now, some of you know I, I had a tough conundrum here. I had, a, I had a, two analogies to go. I was either going to go in the, 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 the Star Wars analogy way or I was going to go with the football analogy way. And uh, after advice from my pastor, we went the, the Dallas Cowboys football way. So, you know, as some of you might know, I've been a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, as is my pastor. It's one, one, of, the, one of the things we love about each other. Um, and I'm not nearly... Uh, okay, all right. Then get the, just get that out of the way now. <laughs> Hey, you know, we'll, we'll talk about repentance and forgiveness later, so that's all right. Um, speak evil, not of... Okay, anyway, so 
I am not nearly as, as a fan as what I once was. You know, honestly, there are more important things that have come into my life, um, and, and I enjoy the games. But I'm not going to lie. When I watch a game, and things happen, I get some nervousness. I get some butterflies. I get some anxiety, if you will, when watching a game and something goes wrong. Um, now, typically, I don't know if what you do, but I don't even watch games live anymore. I love the DVR because you can just record the game. You know, in a, in a three-hour game, you can fast-forward through commercials and snaps, and you can boil it down to about 35 to 40 minutes. So, praise the Lord, saves time. You can yes. spend that other hour and a half, two hours reading your Bible. So, there you go. Right, right. <laughs> Um, but what I'll do is I typically will t- I'll record that game, and if it's an afternoon game, I'll usually watch it in the evening, or you know, if it's an evening game, I'll, I'll go to bed before the game's over, and I'll, I'll watch it in the morning while I'm doing cardio or something. Um, now, um, now and then, uh, there'll be a chance that I will hear the final score before watching the game, which is a little frustrating. Uh, maybe I'll see it on TV or a text from someone, sometimes intentionally to ruin it for me. Um, sometimes my pastor will text me, man, that was an awesome game, did you see that? And I'm like... I haven't watched it yet. So, uh, but that being said, when that happens, you know, Pastor Dave calls, man, that game was awesome. They crushed him. I'm like, ah, okay, I know they won. You know, and if I go back and I watch that game from start to finish, do I have any anxiety? Do I have any nerve? I know they won, right? They could could fumble five times. They could throw 10 interceptions. They could miss every field goal they take. But my anxiety, my stress, my nervousness is completely gone. And why is that? I know they won. I know who has the victory. But here's a question. As believers, do we not all know who has the ultimate victory in the universe? So let me get to the message. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, just thank you. Um, Lord, I just pray, pray, pray. I thank you for what you've done in this message in my heart, Lord. That alone uh, is is amazing, and I thank you for it. Lord, I just pray, uh, do not let my stumbling tongue and my um, just my persona come into any, any obstacle uh, to you. Lord, let you speak through this message, through your verses, your scriptures, and the things that you laid upon my heart. Lord, let me be nothing more than an empty vessel. Uh, I just pray that there's one person in the service that needs to hear this message to be encouraged. You know, one person that needs to come to the Lord. I just pray that you use me, Lord, uh, for whatever you see fit, Lord. And I will do my best, Lord, uh, to serve you for the rest of my life. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to reference some Old Testament scriptures, and uh, I'm doing my best to to learn from a pastor. So uh, if we look at Romans 8.31, it says, What shall we then say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? Um, We could spend the next hour preaching on that. I mean, honestly, we could stay in that verse all day, every day, um, but we're going to bust through it pretty quickly by referencing the Old Testament. Um, We're going to go to Isaiah 41 to show a picture of those instructions. It says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called, uh, called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shall not find them, even them that contended with thee. Uh, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob. 
and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Uh, and, and as I was going through this again this morning, I looked at verse 13, and in, in Cadence, being six years old, she's going through that time. There's a lot of nervousness. You know, she'll see something on TV. You know, we went to pick up Christine and Pastor at the airport, and she wouldn't get in their truck. I'm like, what's the problem? Apparently, she watched a show where kids got locked in a truck, and she wouldn't get in the truck, and she was just nervous, and she was scared and of something that we were like, that's silly. Why would you be scared of that? And when it Verse 13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. I just get that picture. If upstairs is dark and it's 9 o'clock and it's way past your bedtime and she does not want to go upstairs because she is scared, all I do is put out my right hand. And she will take my right hand and she will walk into that darkness. And she will have no fear. And she knows that I love her, and she knows that I'm there for her. We have a heavenly Father that loves us more. Believe it or not, I don't know how it could happen, but loves us more than we could ever love our children. But imagine being in Jacob's place, God speaking this directly to you. Jacob didn't have the New Testament. He wasn't able to flip to the back of the book and know the outcome. He was living in the moment, but heard God speak directly to him and to give him those directions. Now, we do have the back of the book. What enemies, what fleshly challenges do we struggle with that we get mired down on a day-to-day basis that make us doubt God? In, in verse 32 in Romans 8, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We have faith as born-again Christians that God made the ultimate sacrifice, that he sent Jesus Christ, the most valuable thing in his world, to the cross to die. And to be resurrected and born again so that we could have salvation. So why are we so worried about our needs? Why are we so worried about what we have on this earth in this life? The truth of the things on this planet, they absolutely, there's no worry. There's no concern about being provided for us. God has made those promises to us. So our doubts and our fears, they're nothing more than a lack of God, a lack of faith in God and a prideful, prideful faith in ourselves. In Genesis, in Genesis, sorry, I told you, something was done. There you go. In Genesis, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. I mean, could you imagine, if you're a parent, could you imagine God directing you to sacrifice one of your own children? As much as we worry about our own children, the stress about what they're doing, who they're with, what time they're going to be home, are they being dumb, you know, whatever they've got going on, are, are they safe? You know, our children, how much we care about them. But think about this. Abraham literally walks up a mountain with his son, knowing the direction from God is that he will get to the top of the mountain. He will lay his son out on an altar. He will plunge a knife into the heart of his son and will burn him as a sacrifice to his God. I I can't imagine that. As a parent, I absolutely cannot imagine that. And, And if you've never heard that story, if you've never read that part of the Bible, when you hear, if you start reading that and it's the first time you've ever read it, that, would, that gives me anxiety. But we know the outcome. We know that in Genesis 22, 9 through 10, it says, And they came to a place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And this is the point where I'm, I'd be like, oh. I mean, I mean, I'm like, this is, uh, I, I, okay, I'm putting the book away. I'll start again tomorrow. It's, I don't want to read it. I'd be done. But in 13 through 14, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. That kind of faith, that kind of understanding, Abraham, again, like Jacob, did not have the back of the book. He went on a direct order from God and had faith that God was going to provide. We have the back of the book, ladies and gentlemen. We have the answers. Moving to Romans 8.33, it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Amen. So we are God's elect. I mean, we are his chosen people. Right. Who could put blame, guilt, fear, anxiety, regret, all those things, who could put that on us? The responsibility for our sins, God's forgiven us. Yep. The responsibility for our shortcomings, God's let those go. God is the one who justifieth. And in Isaiah 50, referencing that in the Old Testament, in verse 8, it says, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Who is going to fight against me? Who is going to say different? God's the one that makes a statement. Who is going to fight against God? Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. So whoever tries to do this to me, whoever attempts to do this to me, they don't have to contend with me. They don't even have to contend with my wife, my kids, my family. They have to contend with God Almighty, the most powerful force in the entire universe, in Him and Him alone. And if I allow God to handle these attacks... My adversary is going to wax old, they will decay, and moths will consume them. I don't have to fight them. And I know we talk about things being a spiritual fight. Yes, it is a spiritual fight, but we are not the ones that need to fight. God is the one that will fight for us. And in Exodus 14, verse 13, it says, As Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. There are times this week I could do nothing but stand still. And believe me or not, I felt the Lord holding me. I did. And if we don't do that, if we rely on our own devices, our own motivations, our own thoughts, our own solutions, we will not see the miracles God has to provide for us. It says, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he slew to you, which he showed to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Amen. I'm going to read that again. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. What are we lacking in our lives, in our hearts? more than anything in this day and age. Peace. Who, need, who here needs peace in the middle of, of a turmoil right now? So what should we do? What's the solution? Stand still and let the Lord fight for us. In Romans 8, verse 35, moving on, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just remember this. No one and no thing can separate us from God if we're born-again believers. Yep. 
Only we have the ability to give place to the devil and separate ourselves from God's will. Our salvation is never in question. So why do we let our walk suffer by turning away from God? In John 10, verse 28 and 29, it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which is gave them to, I'm sorry, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. God has sealed us. He has secured us. He is holding us. Could even the devil himself come and pry us out of God's hand? No. No. Could any enemies of this earth pry us out of God's hands? Absolutely not. And in Romans 8, 36 to the next verse, it says, As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And this is a direct reference. Paul's referencing back to Psalm 44, verse 22. It says, Yea, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. He's showing that God's people have faced persecutions and hardships for generations. And that the struggles in our lives are not a sign that God has abandoned us. Not a sign that he is without us. Not a sign that we are by ourselves. They are all hardships that he works to see us through. If God did not love us, he would not chasten us. In Hebrews 12, verse 6 through 8, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye, endure, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. So if you aren't trying to live for God and aren't going through hard times at some point, that's a bad sign. Yeah. I mean, I'll be flat honest with you. You know, if you get saved, if you, hey, I, Jesus is my Savior, praise the Lord, and you go about and everything is, is butterflies and sunshine, are you living for God? Are you, are you trying to be a testimony or trying to be that light shining to, to reveal to other people that love that God has for you? Take solace in the fact that you are being chastised. No one likes pain. No one likes suffering. No one likes difficulties. But if God is putting you through something in order to draw you closer to him, then praise the Lord. He loves you more than you know, and all he wants is whatever it takes to bring you to him. Unfortunately, sometimes as stubborn, as stiff-necked as we are, it takes being broken, Mm -hmm. being devastated, being hurt beyond what you would ever expect. To say, God, I give up. I surrender. I can't do this anymore. Amen. And that is the time that miracles happen. That is the time that God draws you closer to him. And you can truly understand and feel the love that he has for you. The refiner's fire is the hottest when he is burning impurities out of us to make us holy. In Zechariah 13... Two-thirds of the people in the land of Israel will die in the tribulation period. But listen to what happens to that remaining third. In Zechariah 13, verse 9, it says, And I will bring the third part through, not around, not over, not beside, through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call upon my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. 
These are the people that denied Jesus, that had him killed, had him hung on a cross, did not believe that he was the Messiah. Yet God forgave their rejection and sought to reconcile. Again, it wasn't flowers and chocolates. He put them through fire to gain that reconciliation. And again in Isaiah, he pictures the refining fire in uh, Isaiah 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So becoming holy is not an easy path. Becoming righteous, becoming God-following, God-fearing, God-obeying is not a simple walk. It is challenging. It is hard. It is a fire. Now, I have three wonderful children, trying children, yet wonderful children. (laughs) And I know in the past, I have, and currently, and I've prayed for patience. And I've prayed for patience numerous times. And I tell you, I wish it was this simple. Dear Lord, it's been a rough, give me patience, Lord. Amen. And then I wake up and I'm like, man, I am the patientest person in the world. This is awesome. Thanks, God. But how many of y'all, if I won't say made the mistake, but how many of y'all prayed for patience? Yes. Amen. And to get to that end result, was it easy? No. no. We forget getting to patience is through hard times, not over, not under, not around. It is through the hard times to how we get to patience. In Romans 5, verse 3 to 4, it says, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And as much as we want to, we just want to jump right ahead to hope. We just want to say, Dear Lord, thank you, hope, done. Doesn't. Wish we could skip ahead, but we must glory in our tribulations. We must know that is what works towards patience. If we say we have hope, but we have not been through the refiner's fire, then what does it take for us to break? What does it take for us to give up? What does it take for that hope to be crushed to nothing? Very, very little. Very little opposition. Now, I'm a big fan of history, like, you know, like Brother David. You know, I love studying battles and wars, and, you know, and I, for a period of time, I studied you know, through Oriental history, Chinese, Japanese, all those histories, and I loved the samurais and the ninjas and all those different types of warriors. Um, and they talked about the swords that they would carry. You know, and the strongest sword on the planet is typically a samurai sword. The weakest swords on the battlefield are the ones that are made in haste. They contain all sorts of impurities. Um, Often one blow, you'll hit it one time and it'll break. But one that never breaks, the one that holds true, the one that outlasts is the one that's been purified through the fire. The pounding of the blacksmith's hammer, back in the fire. More pounding, more stress, more pressure, more pounding, more fire, more heat, more stress. And I'm... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I have heard that there are swords that are literally thousands of layers folding over, pounding, heating, folding over, pounding, heating, folding over, pounding, heating, till they are razor thin. And that time and stress and pressure and energy and heat that's put into it creates some of the strongest swords that will never, ever break in battle. So if you are in the fire right now, don't think because just, you're in the, just because you're in the fire that the hope is lost. You're in a fire, but they promise you, I promise you there is one in that fire with you Amen. that Amen. loves you more than you know. Right. Now the verse, the verse in Romans 8, 37, it says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors 
through him that loved us. We are not defeated. We have not lost. We are not vulnerable to the devil winning a victory over us. We've already won the war. But if we've already won the war, why are we allowing the devil to win battles through our lives? We know the back of the book. And Paul offered this encouragement through his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. It says, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, if you look back at those verses and you look at that victory that Paul references... Is he referencing the victory that instant? No. He's referencing the victory in the future. He's referencing the victory that will come. So since he's referencing that victory of what's to come, is he saying, hey, guys, cheer up in the future. Work hard in the future. Do this in the future. Paul is saying, no, no, your victory is yet to come. Right. But now yep. is the time. Amen, is faithful you, you are to act faithfully at the present moment, knowing that victory is to come. Keep in mind, we already know, as born-again believers, we are going to win. There's not a person in here that has been through the Bible that is a born-again Christian that does not know we win. Right. So how about we start acting like it? Amen. Now, it's all a great lecture to stand up here and say this is what we need to do and what we should do and what we could do. But the hardest part, how do we actually do that? I mean, I stand up here and say, all right, guys, let's pray and get out of here. And we go home. And you're like, man, that was encouraging. But how do I do that exactly? I'm kind of lost. The Bible, that's where you go. That's where you get the answers. That's where you find the direction. In Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. If you truly believe today that God loves you and you want a loving, close, intimate relationship with him, despite your flaws, despite your mistakes, despite your sins, despite all the things that are wrong with us, he will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, no matter what comes against you in this life. Amen. Now, Amen. only you, and I'm going to say this again, only you and me can put a wall between God and us. Yeah. Right. Only you, only me, can turn and walk away from him. If we don't do that, he is with us. He is fighting our battles. The only way he doesn't fight our battles is if we go, God, I got this, and you go to handle it. Mm -hmm. right. God, I, I, you know what? I don't really need prayer on this one. Mm -hmm. I don't really need to reference the Bible. I don't really need to follow your way on this. I, I got it. I, no problem. That is a recipe for disaster. Yes, Amen. Please remember, we are more than conquerors. God made us to have a loving, faithful, beautiful relationship with him. 
not to live a life of worry, of regret, of stress, failure. So let's stop living a life of defeat. Start living a life God intended. It won't be by living for yourself. It's not going to be by living for your husband or for your wife. It's not going to be by living for your kids or even by living for your church. It's only going to be by living for him and the purpose that he intended for you. In Romans 8, verse 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. For as many are, as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And I know we have drilled this point for months and months and months about dying to the flesh, feeding the Spirit. You want to know how? You want a, an encyclopedia about kids that, this is before Wikipedia and before Internet, an encyclopedia about how to do it? You feed the Spirit. You starve the flesh. You kill the flesh. You deny the flesh. You get caught up in things that are not of God. That is where the struggles come from. God is a jealous God. God wants your heart. When God sees you more passionate and more excited about other things that are not of Him and turning away from Him, He wants to draw you in, not because He wants to hurt you, not because He wants pain in your life, not because He wants suffering, because He wants you. He wants that loving relationship with you. And the only way for us to do that is to kill the flesh, to mortify the deeds of the body, and ye shall live. How can the Son of God be defeated? It's literally impossible. If you are a son or a daughter of God, you literally cannot be defeated except by your own choice. If we are truly walking with the Spirit, it is impossible to lose. In Galatians 5, verse 23, there's a colon after the nine thing that Paul states are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in the Bible, what that references is the statement after the colon is meant to summarize and to describe the statement that was before that and support what it means. So in Galatians, let's go to Galatians 5, verse 22. These are the nine things. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, colon, against such there is no law. That means there is nothing Nothing that can combat that. There's nothing that can fight that. There's nothing that can be victorious over God in those things. The law? No. The devil? No. You and I? No. There's nothing that can overcome the Lord. If this is your spiritual reality and your life is being governed by the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for you to lose. We have overcome the world. We have overcome the flesh. We have overcome the devil. Only through the Lord, not through ourselves. We've read the back of the book. We know who wins. If you're losing, if you're a defeated Christian, and your life's testimony is that you are going through struggles and trials and there's just no hope, that's your choosing. That is not God's or anyone else's. In John 10.10, it says, The thief cometh, not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. So if your joy is being stolen, if your hope is being killed, 
If our lives are being destroyed, that is not from God. He sent Jesus so we can live an abundant, victorious Christian life. So today I ask you, are you living a defeated life as a child of God, or are you more than a conqueror? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much, Lord. Lord, I know in the times of difficulty this week, this year, this decade, I have not done all that I could have to stand still and let you fight my battles. Lord, I've been in my flesh, in my heart, in my brain, you know, trying to figure things out, trying to, to reason things and logic things and, and, and understand why this is happening and that is happening. And Lord, I, I just thank you that you love me so much despite the thousands of mistakes I've made in my life. Lord, you are seeking that loving relationship. You are seeking that prodigal child to come back to you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for working in this message to make me realize how much you love me, how much you love each and every one of us. And Lord, as we sit here today, I just pray that someone's life was touched, someone's heart was encouraged, you know, for the struggles that we go through that oftentimes we push away from people that we love, we push away from God, we push away from church. Lord, I just pray that that person would be touched today to say this is not the time to draw away from God. That is a time to draw to God. And Lord, I know that you're standing there with open arms, just waiting, Lord, for that child to come out, waiting for that love to be restored. Lord, I wonder if today there's not someone here that may have not come to that realization how much God loves them. I'm wondering if there's someone today that's sitting there saying, yeah, I hear the love of God and I know a little bit about that, but I don't don't understand what it means to be a believer. I don't understand what it means uh, to be a child of God. Lord, I pray that you would give them that opportunity today. And if you're that one that's sitting in in the service or watching online today that you're saying, I I don't know if I really have that understanding of God. I really don't have a relationship with God. I would give you this opportunity. Uh, There's not a magic prayer. There's not words that you say in a certain order or a certain fashion to to gain that relationship with God. Uh, It is a, a heartfelt belief and faith God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for our sins because we were unworthy. We did not deserve a relationship with God. We did not deserve a home in heaven. But Christ died on the cross for us and rose again to prove he was God the third day. And if we're willing to believe on Jesus Christ and we accept him into our hearts as our Savior, the Lord, the Lord will have that relationship with us. The Lord will save our souls. The Lord will be crying in happiness and rejoicing. I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I've fallen short. I know I've hurt people, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever deserve your love or deserve to go to heaven, but 
Lord, if you're willing to accept me for who I am, Lord, I would love to be part of your family. I accept that Jesus Christ went to that cross, that he was crucified and died, that he was rose again on the third day. I believe that he died on that cross for our sins. And Lord, if I'm willing to accept you, Lord, into my heart, that you will save my soul. So Lord, right now, I pray in Jesus' name, that prayer. I pray that you will save my soul and allow me to be a born again son or daughter of you. And Lord, I thank you for loving me. I thank you so much for everything you've blessed us with. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.